We're beginning a series in the book of Acts. If you remember, if you were here with us last year, last year, right after Easter, we began a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study in the book of Acts. And so every year, wherever we leave off, we're going to pick up. So we're going to begin now the book of Acts. End of June, we'll complete our teaching in the book of Acts. Wherever we stop, we stop. Next year, same time, uh, if Jesus tarries, right after Easter, we'll pick up where we left off, off until we have taught through the entire book of Acts. And so uh, this is exciting. You know, uh, last year we completed chapters 1 and 2, and so we're going to start with chapter 3. And what a privilege. What a privilege it is for us to be able to study the Bible, to be able to study God's Word. What a privilege to read God's Word, to, to meditate on God's Word, to memorize God's Word, and then to study God's Word. The Bible says study, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God truth. And the Bible is the most amazing book in all of the world. It's the most incredible book in, in, our, in our planet, right? It's the best-selling book in the world. And what makes the Bible so amazing? Because it is of supernatural origin. Over 1,500 years, over 40 different authors, supernaturally, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, put pen to parchment and wrote the Holy Scriptures. And the Bible is dependable. It has been assaulted. It has been maligned. It has been attacked. But finally, the enemies to the Bible have had to retreat because all their assaults and all their attacks have not been able to, to uh, undermine the credibility of the Holy Scriptures. Let me give you one example, one example. Uh, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. These prophecies were made some 700 years before he ever showed up on the scene. Let's take just eight of the 300 prophecies related to the life of Jesus. What are the odds? What are the odds? Not, not for the 300 prophecies, but just for the eight prophecies, like the birth of Jesus, Micah 5.2, that he would be born in Bethlehem. What would happen to him on the cross? Uh, how his bones would not be broken? Uh, all of these prophecies, let's just take eight of them. What are the odds that all eight of those that were predicted some 700 years, most of them, before the arrival of Jesus, they could all be fulfilled in one life, in that one life of one called Jesus of Nazareth. Well, here's uh, uh, what the odds would be. One to the tenth, one in ten to the power of 17, which uh, it's a whole lot of number, numbers. It's 100 with 18 zeros behind it. One in quintillion. Did I say it right? One in quintillion. Now, what, what's a quintillion? Uh, this is a big number, okay? Google it. It's a big number. Uh, the state of Texas is a huge state. Let's say that you were able to cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollar coins. You could cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollar coins two feet high, and that's what a quintillion amount would be. How many of that's a big number? That's what our national debt's gonna be here in a few months. <laughs> so that's the odds. One in, in uh, one quintillion would be the odds. In other words, it's, it's, it's mathematically impossible that not, not just eight, but all 300 of the prophecies, some are still to be fulfilled in his second return, could all be fulfilled in the life of one. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many know the Bible's credible? How many know we can depend on the Holy Scriptures? Now, the book of Acts is basically a historical account of the early church and the life of the early church. It's a descriptive and a normative narrative, which, mean, which means it tells us what happened, 
but it also tells us how things should happen even 2,000 years later. The official title is really the acts of our Lord Jesus Christ through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit, but Luke. Luke, uh, we believe, was not a Jew, but a Gentile. That's why he was not one of the apostles of Jesus, but he uh, was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He wrote the good news according to Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke. According to Colossians 4, we know that Luke was a doctor. We know he was a personal friend of the Apostle Paul, that he actually traveled with uh, the Apostle Paul and at times attended to the physical needs of the Apostle Paul. So Luke was an awesome individual, right? And he was selected by God to tell the story of the early church in the book of Acts. Now, if you were here last year, you remember, uh, we taught through Acts 1. The theme, the main theme of Acts 1 would be, of course, the ascension of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, the main theme of Acts chapter 2 was the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to begin now in chapter 3. Chapter 3, uh, the main theme of, of the third chapter of the book of Acts is basically the individual solitary life matters to God. Because Acts chapter 3, the entire chapter 3 of the book of Acts is a story about a lame man who was placed outside the gate called Beautiful. He had been lame from the time he was born. And at the hour of prayer, on one particular day, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. And they saw this man. This man cried out and was begging for money. And Peter looked at him and said, look at us. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the hand, and the lame man who was born lame from the time he was born leaped up onto his feet and was standing. And the Bible says he began to walk, he began to jump, he began to rejoice, and he went with Peter and John into the temple to worship Jesus. And it's an incredible miracle that the entire third chapter of the books of Acts is dedicated, which tells us something, your life matters to God. Yes, he loves the world. Yes, he loves the masses. But God knows who you are right here today. God knows where you are spiritually and emotionally in every other area of your life. God knows where he wants you to be. And in eternity past, before the worlds were created, you and I were in the heart and mind of God because he predestined each of us to know and follow his son, Jesus Christ. And now we must do our part and say yes to the plan of God and say yes to his son, Jesus Christ, and say yes to the miracle life that God has for each and every one of us. Look to your neighbor and say, I hope you've said yes. Go on, tell him. I hope you've said yes to God's plan. All right, I've entitled this chapter, No Coincidence. No coincidence. You'll know more about that here in just a moment. So let's begin Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, we're just going to read verse 1 and then have some commentary here. Acts 3, 1, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you that we can come to worship at the hour of worship here at Trinity on this, the Lord's Day, and we can experience your power, your presence. We can experience, Lord God, uh, an encounter with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, that we're going to mix the word with faith, and we're going to experience all that you have for us in our lives today. Moving forward, it's in the name of Jesus I pray, and everyone said, amen. All right, so right off the bat, here are a couple of things that are very important. First of all, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. How many know when it comes to the important events and the important things of life, 
We make time for the important things in life. How many know that we prioritize what's important to us? We prioritize eating. We prioritize sleep. We, if we're married, we prioritize spending time with our spouse. If we have children, we, we make our children a priority. And so we give time, and we're all busy, right? And there's more to do in a given day than we have the time to do. So we have to be very jealous and very stingy with our time. And there are many times we have to say no to good things because we have to say yes to God things in our life. So how many know we make time for the things that are important in our life? Then I read a statistic that the average American watched like eight hours of TV a day. Hello? You got that much time on your hands? You need help, my friend, okay? So... Peter and John made time for prayer at the hour of prayer, uh, which is the ninth hour in the King James translation, which really uh, is the three o'clock in the afternoon. Here's another thing that's amazing to me. It's Peter and John. Usually in the Gospels, it was Peter and Andrew. It was James and John. But now we see these two guys hanging out together, Peter and John, and they were complete opposites, okay? I mean, by, by nature and by temperament, they were, they were totally, totally different. Um, Peter was a man of action, and John was an actualizer, right? Peter was a mover. Uh, John was a mystic. Uh, Peter had his feet on the rock. John had his head in the clouds, right? Uh, um, when it, when it came time for, for the first Easter resurrection, they, they ran to the tomb, and John makes sure to give us this detail that he outran Peter, right? And then Peter was impetuous. He, he, as John's standing outside of the tomb, not knowing what to do, Peter just barges into the tomb, right? The first one to discover nobody, but, but grave clothes were there. And then Peter rushes out and runs back while, while John ponders and takes in the moment and all that had occurred. So the, the point is, Peter and John were opposites, and yet they were going to church together. So you see, Peter and John, they practice you by two. Because you, you should never go to church alone. You should always do your best to bring somebody with you. Even if that somebody is totally different from you. That's the beauty about Christianity. Christianity will draw opposites together. Uh, in a church like Trinity, uh, for people like you, uh, we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different cultures. And yet, what binds us together and what brings us together is the one common denominator, and it's Jesus. Jesus can bring complete opposites together and put them in relationship. And now we get to do life with one another. The other thing that struck me is that it was normal for Jews to go to the temple to worship. Now, these are Messianic Jews because now they believe that Yeshua, that Jesus was Messiah. But nothing changed for them because they're Jews. You see, initially the gospel went out just to the Jews. Initially, the only ones that were born again, the only people that got saved were the Jews. And then, and then, uh, you know, Peter in Acts 10 goes to an Italian guy's house and uh, has some good pasta and then uh, gets them all saved, fill the Holy Spirit. That's when the gospel went out to the Gentile world. So we have to all thank Italians that, you know, they were the first of the Gentiles to be saved. Uh, and then Paul's raised up, and Paul basically is an apostle to the Gentile world. But initially, it was all for just Jews. So Peter and John, are, they're Jews. They didn't stop being Jews. So, but now they're Messianic Jews, but now they're going to the temple because that's the place of worship where you show up to worship God. And it wasn't until uh, years later when, when there was a division and they were basically forced out of the temple because the Jewish people were no, many of them were not receptive that Messiah was Jesus. And so that's when Christians had to form their own gathering space. Uh, and then eventually the temple was destroyed. Now, uh, they went at the hour of prayer. Here's something interesting. 
Christians, for, for, for really for 2,000 years, have looked at three particular periods of time in a given day as special moments of reflection. Nine in the morning, 12 in the afternoon, and three in the afternoon. Why? Jesus was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning. Uh, a significant event happened at noon, and then he gave up the ghost at three. And so Christians for thousands of years have, have really had moments of reflection throughout the day, nine, 12, and three. And I think that's a good, that's a good practice. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good thing to implement in our lives. Uh, another thing is David in the Old Testament said that we're to praise God seven times in a day. Seven times in a day. Daniel in the Old Testament uh, prayed three times a day. And because he prayed three times a day, on a particular occasion, of course, his enemies used that against him to throw him in the lion's den. All I believe God is saying here is we need to make time. We need to make time uh, for prayer and being in God's presence with God's people. We need to make it a priority in our life. You know, I have, uh, I've seen many people who come to church and their life is banged up and their marriage is a mess and their finances are a mess and, and, and you know, they, 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 hit, they hit a rough spot in their, in their life. And so they start coming to church and then God starts to do a work in them and God begins to heal and bring restoration and redemption and, and things start, I mean, things are, things are turned around in their life and then if they're not careful, they let their spiritual guard down, they begin to skip church, they begin to skip reading the Bible, they begin to skip prayer uh, and then next thing you know, they're not coming to church regularly, regularly any longer and then the next thing you know, the same cycle of sin is going to show up again and they're going to be in worse shape than they were initially. How many know that we need to keep church a priority, we need to make church a priority and we need to make sure that we make time for God in our lives. Amen. Verse 2. And they approached the temple. A man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going to the temple. Uh, a couple of things here now. This guy was lame from the time he was born. He must have been at that gate called Beautiful during the entire earthly ministry of Jesus, but for some reason, Jesus, the path of Jesus and this man never crossed. But on this particular day, and it's not by happen chance, it's no coincidence. On this particular day, at the very moment that he was placed at the gate called Beautiful, that he might beg, at that very moment, Peter and John simultaneously what divine synchronicity, simultaneously were walking into the temple through the gate called Beautiful, and it was there that this man's need and God's miracle power collided, and it wasn't a coincidence. You know, uh, it's not coincidental that this man was placed right outside the gate called Beautiful, right outside the temple. How many of you know that if you have a need in your life, that you are, if you are in need of a miracle, the closer, the, the closer we are to God's temple... The, the closer we are in proximity to the miracle power of God touching our lives and changing our lives. The closer we get to God and the closer we get to the work of God, the closer we get to God's power being made available in our life. Never underestimate planting yourself in the house of the Lord that your roots may go down deep, that you may flourish and bear much fruit and bring glory to God. That's not a coincidence. Here's the other thing that you need to realize is at this particular moment, in the history of the church, Peter was a big shot. He was big time. Why was Peter big time? Because just days earlier, on the day of Pentecost, he preached his first sermon post-resurrection. He preached his first sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. How many know if you get up and preach and have an altar call and 3,000 people got saved, how many know that's revival? I mean, you've gone from being a little shot to a big shot. I mean, like, like that, right? Now, listen, every soul matters to God. One soul is celebrated in heaven, as Jesus said. 
Now, last weekend in our Easter services, from Saturday night through Sunday, we had 210 confirmed salvations, 210 people that responded to our altar calls. Many of you were a part of that. Hallelujah. Congratulations. We're excited. That's awesome. The week before Palm Sunday, we had 200 people that were water baptized. Can we thank God for the 200 people that made a public profession of their faith? Wow. And now we're going to have another 210 eventually. How exciting is that? That's a lot of people. That is a joyous uh, number and amount of people, but it falls short of 3,000. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, there were literally hundreds of thousands, over 100,000 extra people that were in the city of Jerusalem, some scholars estimate. And when Peter preached, we don't know how many tens of thousands heard him preach, but we know, because the Bible gives us the number, 3,000 souls were added. So when Peter was walking into the temple, how many know that Peter was walking with a little attitude? He's like... Thank you, Lord, for how you've used me, you know. Because, you know, Peter was Peter. I mean, you know, sometimes things went to his head, right? And uh, maybe that's why John's like, I'm going to hang out with this guy. I mean, this guy knows how to do it, right? So they're together. And so this guy recognizes Peter. He recognizes Peter uh, and is about to receive something that he never imagined he could receive. But please know this. It was no coincidence. Do you believe in coincidences? You see, they're, they're really, I don't, believe, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in divine destiny. I believe in the providential, unseen, sovereign hand of God working behind the scenes in your life and in my life. I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, there was a group of expected fathers uh, in the waiting room of a maternity ward, and uh, they were waiting for their wives to deliver their children. And uh, a nurse came in, and the first guy that was in that waiting room, she said, uh, congratulations, your wife just had twins. And he was like overjoyed. He's like, wow, that's amazing. He goes, that's co a coincidence. I play for the Minnesota Twins. Then the ne next nurse came in, and she told the next expectant father, she said, congratulations, your wife just had triplets. And he said, how awesome is that? I work for the 3M company. And at that moment, the, the last guy that was in there, he fell to the ground. And the guy said, are you okay? And the nurse said, sir, are you okay? He says, I am. But my problem is I work for the 7-Up company. So. <laughs> there are no coincidences. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story of Philip the evangelist. An angel comes to him and says, I want you to overtake this carriage. He tells him exactly where to go. At the exact moment that Philip arrives, there's an Ethiopian eunuch who's in his carriage, a, very, a man of great influence and of great power and of great affluency and wealth. And he came to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. He's traveling back to Ethiopia. He's reading, not coincidentally, he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. He doesn't understand a thing that he's reading, right? So Philip says, hey, can you, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no. Can you explain it to him? Philip says, oh, yes. Jump in my carriage. So Philip did such an incredible job explaining Jesus, Messiah, as Messiah, from the book of Isaiah to this Ethiopian eunuch. He did such a good job explaining it that when the Ethiopian eunuch saw water outside of his carriage, he said, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he said, if you believe in, with all of your heart that Jesus is Lord, you can be. He says, I do. And so he went down there and he water baptized that Ethiopian eunuch. And then right after, he finished baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Philip supernaturally disappeared to go to the next location where God planned for him to be. How many know that there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God? Philip was at the right place at the right time because the eunuch was at the right place at the right time because the steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered of the Lord. In the Old Testament, 
There's the story of Gehazi. He was the servant of Elisha. And in 2 Kings 8, Gehazi is before the king, and he's telling the story of this woman who received a miracle from the prophet of God. And Gehazi is going into great detail of this widow who received this miracle, right, of this woman whose son was brought back to life. And the king is so interested in these miracles that the prophet did, performed, and as Gehazi is telling the king about the miracle, at that exact moment... The woman he was talking about walks in. She had a desperate need. And again, I said, wow, this, lo and behold, that's the woman that received the miracle from Elisha. And it was a setup by Almighty God. The king said, you're that woman. What do you need? She explained what she needed. He said, you have it all. How many know that's not a coincidence? It's a divine setup. (laughs) In Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 6, the book of Esther, chapter 6, uh, the king can't sleep. He's suffering from insomnia, right? And too much wine, too many women. But anyway, so he gets up, and he's so bored. How bored was the king? He was so bored, he gets his, his attendants to read from a, a book of chronicles that uh, uh, gave a chronology of memorable deeds that were done for the king in his kingdom. And as these guys were reading to the king in the middle of the night, no coincidence, they read about the story of this guy named Mordecai that saved the king's life because he thwarted a covert operation to kill the king. And the king said, who is this Mordecai? And they're like, well, he's this Jewish dude. And he's like, did we ever do anything nice for Mordecai? And they're like, no. The very next day, wicked Haman shows up into the king's court. And wicked Haman that very day wanted to kill Mordecai, wanted to kill Mordecai, was going before the king to get approval to kill Mordecai. That very day, the very next day, after the king read about what Mordecai did, Haman walks in, he said, and, and the king says to, uh, to wicked Haman, he says, if there was a man in my kingdom that I really wanted to esteem, that I really wanted to shower with my, my, uh, my honor and blessings, what should I do for a man like that? Haman, so full of himself, thought, the king has to be thinking of me. <laughs> oh, this is what I would do for that man, O oh king. And as soon as he got done giving out this elaborate plan of how to honor the man that the king wanted to esteem, uh, the king said to wicked Haman, Go out and do that for Mordecai. How many know that was not a coincidence? The very day Haman wanted to kill Mordecai, God promoted Mordecai. How many know the unseen hand, sovereign hand of God, is at work behind your life and my life because the steps of a good man and the steps of a good woman are ordered of the Lord. Let me give you another example in the book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. Uh, Ruth, her husband died. Ruth ends up going back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, with her mother-in-law, who was a Jew, Naomi. Naomi's husband's dead. Ruth's husband's dead. They are destitute. No children, uh, no retirement, no support, no backup, no nothing but God. But God. They go back to Bethlehem. Ruth needs to find a job. She goes to be a day laborer to work in the fields because it was harvest time. And the Bible says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, she just happened to end up in the field of one Boaz, who just happened to be the most eligible bachelor in all of Israel, who just happened to be the wealthiest bachelor in all of Israel, who just happened to be the kinsman redeemer, the one that could rescue Ruth from all of her troubles. He had it all, except he may not have been good looking. But ladies, you know, there are some things in life more important than looks. 
And Ruth just happened to work alongside of Boaz, and Boaz just happened to notice how beautiful this young woman was, and then they got married and lived happily ever after, and had a son that had a son that had a son that had a king by the name of David, that had a son that had a son that had a son that had a son that had a son, who eventually became Jesus, the Messiah born of a virgin. How many of you know there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God? I remember when uh, I first met Gloria, no coincidence, I was at the Glorietta Baptist Campgrounds in Glorietta, New Mexico. She was a lost sinner. She heard about our singles Christian retreat camp. Her sister invited her. She showed up at that camp. That's the first time I met her. It was no coincidence at that camp that I happened to be the one leading, by the way. At that camp that I happened to be the one speaking, by the way. At that camp, she got saved. At that camp, she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And two years later, we got married. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, when I was uh, planning uh, that maybe she'd be the one I was planning, uh, there was a guy, uh, no coincidence, there was a guy at our church that was at the hospital. He was, he was going through surgery, and he needed prayer at the very hospital she was working at. And uh, word got to me that so-and-so needed prayer at, su- at such and such a hospital, and they said, who would like to go? I'm like, I'll go. I'll go. Because I had plans. I was going to go pray for that guy, and then I was just going to like show up, you know, to her office and say, hey, how you doing? I'm here to pray for somebody, you know, aren't I? Spiritual, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I get in the elevator to go pray for this guy first. It stops at a particular floor. No, lo and behold, the elevator opens, and there she is. She walks in going to pray for the guy the same time I'm going to pray for the guy. How many know that wasn't a coincidence? How many know that was a sign from heaven? She is the one. <laughs> Psychologist Carl Jung used the term synchronicity uh, to describe chance happenings between unconnected people or events. Albert Einstein referred to coincidence as God's way of remaining anonymous. Uh, An experiment by a French physicist, Elaine Aspect, in 1982 showed that when two particles, uh, photons, are separated one from the other, the other is is given a different charge, whether positive or negative. The other particle instantly, without any time delay, also changes its charge. It didn't matter if the particle was one mile away or one million miles apart. This breaks Albert Einstein's law that nothing travels faster than the speed of light. Einstein himself called this, and I'm quoting, spooky action at a distance. Call it whatever you want, spooky action at a distance. Call it synchronicity. Call it God winking. Call it fate. Call it coincidence. But we call it divine intervention. We call it the predestined plan of God working on behalf of the man or the woman whose steps are ordered of the Lord because they're following Matthew 6.33. Seek God with all of your heart. If you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. Even the evil events that happen in our lives. Because evil people mean to do evil against us. God, can, God doesn't cause evil, but he could use evil. Even when evil people do evil things against us, God can turn around that evil in our lives and use it for his glory and your good. If you don't believe me, just read the story of Joseph. Towards the end of his life, after his father died, his brothers earlier had betrayed him, sold him as a slave to Egypt. His brothers were fearful that now Joseph, now that dad's gone, would take his revenge. How did Joseph respond? He didn't hire an attorney and sue his 
his brothers. He didn't play the victim. Woe is me. I can't believe what you did to me. He didn't belabor the fact of what his brothers did. He simply told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm in a place of blessing and prosperity because God takes all things and work them together for the good to them that love God, to them called according to his purpose. This man was a beggar for 40 years, and on that particular day, at that particular moment in time, right when Peter and John were walking in, God placed him where he needed to be. All you single ladies in here, how many know God can place you at the right place at the right time in the right field to meet your Boaz in Jesus' name? Amen. Just be patient. Be patient and be content with your relationship with Christ. Because how many of us know if you're not content as a single with Jesus, you're not going to be content as a married person with Jesus? How many, we all know people that were happily single and now they're miserably married? (laughs) Nobody in this service, Uh uh-uh. Look to your wife and say, I'm glad we're together. Go on, tell them, I'm glad we're together. All right, look at verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. You know, he was a professional beggar, and begging is a profession. I've been to India on this last trip to Israel and, and Paris we saw professional beggars. We saw people that were in desperate need. And uh, professional beggars, they know how to scan a crowd. They know how to make eye contact with the one that is most probable to give them something because that's how they earn a living. And there are times when I uh, feel a tug of the Holy Spirit and will give to somebody that's in legitimate need, in legitimate need. We, we, were, in, uh, we were in Paris, and uh, we were walking down this main, the main street in Paris in front of the Arc of Triumph. They have all these shops and thousands of people and a lot of tourists, right? And we're walking, just enjoying the sights. And, and uh, we went into a shop, and Gloria was doing a little shopping and looking for something for the boys. And I got hot, so I walked back outside because it was a beautiful day, like 52 degrees in Paris. I love <laughs> cold weather. And I go up against this concrete barrier, and I'm just kind of chilling at the concrete barrier. And I look down, and at my feet, I see a gold ring. I'm like, oh, Cool. But before I could pick up the gold ring, this woman swoops, comes by and swoops it up. And I'm like, you snooze, you lose, Carl. <laughs> and she looked at me, she goes, a gold ring. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I said, yeah, you know, you're, you got blessed. She goes, you take it. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't need it. I, you know, it's yours, it's yours. She looked like she needed more than I needed. She goes, she goes no. She, she goes, it doesn't fit. She goes, you take it. I'm like, okay, I'll, I won't say no, I'll take it. So I took the ring, right? And she goes, You were blessed today. And she walks off, and on cue, she stops, turns to me, and walks back. And that's when my lightning-fast mind said, you're being scammed. (laughs) She comes back. She goes, since you got blessed, why don't you bless me? Do you have a few euros to give me so I can get something to eat? And so I said, okay, I realize what's going on. I was like, that's great. I would give her something anyway. So I pulled out my wallet. I was going to give her like three, five bucks, right? And so I was handing her the money. She goes, no, not American Euro. I'm like, I don't have euros. She looked at my watch and goes, yes, you do. I said, no, they're all, it's all American dollars, okay? I'm an American. I ain't going to exchange my money for no euros. <laughs> I said, take it. She goes, I want euros. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have euros. I'm thinking to myself, when did beggars become choosy? <laughs> so she says, give me back the ring. And I gave her back the ring and she walked off mad. I'm like, wow, what just happened? And then like two hours later, we're walking past the same area, and there's that same woman scamming the next guy. Yeah, yeah. But this man was in desperate need. He had a legitimate need. 
he was born crippled and he could not walk and he never walked. And what he thought he needed was money. You know, sometimes in life, what you think you really need is not what you really need. Sometimes in life we think what we want is what we need, but what you want isn't what you need. But how many know God can separate what we want from what we need? And he always gives us what we need. And what God gives us is always better than what we think we want God to give us because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and he knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and he knows how to get it to you and me if we'll simply park ourselves outside of the temple. There are no coincidences. You know, this gate called beautiful, it's pretty astounding to me because uh, what, what, what is really beautiful? We call a gate beautiful because it was actually a very ornate and beautiful gate. And I think we have a picture of, of uh, the, this particular uh, gate. Uh, the Corinthian gate is what some of them, some of them call it. And we estimate that's what this gate particularly was. But uh, why do we say, you know, religion many times has the most beautiful, ornate exterior. Uh, when we were in Paris, we had the privilege of going to Notre Dame. And it's an amazing Gothic cathedral. It was built like started getting was built like a thousand years ago. It's absolutely beautiful and amazing. But if we're not careful, that's what religion. Religion offers beautiful, ornate exteriors. As Jesus said, it's a whitewashed tomb. Looks so beautiful and clean on the outside, but on the inside, it's full of dead men's bones. In our society today, we worship, we worship beauty. Our society today worships beauty. But what what is truly? How do you define? Beauty, the way the world defines beauty isn't necessarily the way that God defines beauty. Because really, beauty is skin deep. Now, what does that mean? It means that external attractiveness has no relation to real beauty, internal beauty, as the Bible talks about the hidden man of the heart. All right, here's what Proverbs 11:22 says. It says, a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. As out of place as... A gold ring is in a pig's snout. I wonder if Solomon meant that same woman I met in Paris. But anyway, I wonder if it's the same gold ring. <laughs> as out of place as a gold ring would be in a pig's snout. It's an outwardly beautiful man, an outwardly beautiful woman that has no morals on the inside. Now, on this last trip, we were in Jerusalem and Paris. And to me, it's the tale of two cities. What, what have the Hebrew people contributed to human civilization? They didn't give us fashion. They're not very fashionable. They didn't give us art. They're not very artsy, the Hebrews. Matter of fact, they don't believe that you can make a graven image. So I don't ever, I don't, have you ever heard of a famous Hebrew artist or painter? No. You know what the Hebrew people deposited into human civilization? What they contributed? Morality, goodness, inward beauty. The beauty that really counts. The beauty that really matters. They gave us the Torah. They gave us the law of God. They gave us the Ten Commandments. They told us how to live so that we can experience true beauty in life. And what did the French people give us? Now, God bless the French people. They gave us fashion. I mean, glory, I walked into a store. They frisked me on the way in. Not on the way out. I would have thought they would have frisked me on the way out, not on the way in. We went into a Louis Vuitton shop there in Paris. They had bags for like $6,000. I told them all that, don't you get any ideas now? Let's get out of here. <laughs> I said, do you have any socks I can buy? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Paris, you know, uh, you know, God bless the French people. I mean, they, they gave us fashion. They gave us art. We went into a famous museum. I think it's Musée Orsay. Musée Orsay, I don't, I don't know. But it's a famous museum. 
I spent 45 minutes outside in the cold, which I enjoyed, uh, to get into this museum. When I walked into this museum, my wife and I, we'd never been in this like, world-famous museum, right? It, they, had, they had furniture, they had artifacts. And then as we walked through the gallery of paintings, let me just be honest, I've never seen so many oversized naked women on, on paintings in my entire life. I'm like, what? They call this art? I'm like, oh, what were those French men drinking or smoking? Oh. I said, let's get out of here. I mean, that, I'm, a, I'm from New Mexico originally. I'm a Texas, West Texan now. I mean, a, a, a former New Mexican uh, West Texas guy in a museum of artwork in Paris. I felt completely out of place. I'm like, let's go get a barbecue sandwich somewhere. <laughs> See, what the world says is beautiful isn't always beautiful. Now, listen, the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if the, temple needs a, if the temple needs some upkeep, it does. Put on a fresh paint of cone every now and then, right? If it needs some remodeling, go ahead and remodel it. Paul, Peter compared our outward man to a tent. He said, one day I'll have to lay down this tent. So sometimes the tent is sagging. If the tent's sagging, you know, stretch the ropes as best as you possibly can, right? But how many know that time and chance happens to us all? Uh, that's why the beauty industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, and I'm not against it, but I'm telling you, they're making billions of dollars because time and gravity gets the best of us, and we try to stop father time. But you can't stop father time. So what is true beauty? What is real beauty? Look at Proverbs 31:30. Charm is deceptive. And beauty does not last. Say that with me. Beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. You know why I look forward to growing old with Gloria? It's because I, I look forward to seeing her in her 70s and 80s when she'll be more beautiful than ever because it's not the beauty on the outward person. It's the beauty that comes from within a person. It's, as Peter said, the hidden man of the heart. Can we thank God for the real beauty that's in our world? And then the story ends. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. Verse 10. When they realized that he, that he was the lame beggar that had, they, had, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. What an amazing miracle. And this man is really a portrait of the entire human race. We are all born into this world sinners. We're all born spiritually lame. And if it's not for the loving hand of a loving God reaching down to help us up, we will never be able to stand upright. We will never be able to walk. But when we meet Jesus and we experience the power of God in our lives through the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee one day shall bow and every tongue confess, where there's no other name given under heaven 
whereby men must be saved, but the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And there's power in that name. There's healing in that name. There's forgiveness in that name. There's salvation in that name. There's deliverance in that name. There's redemption in that name. Call on any other name. Call on every other name. Go through the millions of names that are in the world today, and nothing will happen. But when you call on that name that's above every name, and you call on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, heaven opens up and the power of God comes into a man or a woman's life. And what was this man's reaction to the miracle that he had received? He was, I guess, the first Pentecostal because he was jumping, he was leaping, he was laughing, and he was clinging. I mean, you know, them Pentecostals know how to jump, they know how to, they know how to shout, and they know how to cling. Give me a hug, brother. I'm like, okay, just shake my hand. You know, that's cool though. Teach their own. His life is never the same again. You know what, my friend? We're all spiritual beggars. And all I am, all I'm doing today, I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the power that's in that name, the power to heal, restore, save, deliver, change a life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, I need you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what would you have me do with this message today? There was something that was said over the last 37 minutes that God wants to deposit in your heart, in your life. Say, Lord, what is that? What am I to do with this message? And if you're here today and you need to experience God's power in your life, there's an area that you're lame in an area of your life, then I say to you, look to Jesus. In the power of his name, rise up. Rise up and be the man. Rise up and be the woman that God has called you to be. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today's the day. Right where you're seated. Pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today. In Jesus' name. Let's thank the Lord together. Can we do that?